everybody. What's up? How you guys doing out there? This is Latrice Carter with Horror Movie Warriors, and it is July July 24th, 2020. I have with me tonight uh, two guests. Uh, we are going to be discussing seven that was uh, came out in 1995 with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. And my two guests that are with me on, on tonight is Jamila uh, Galt. Hello. Hi, everyone. And Nathan Dilla. How's it going, everybody? And I hope you guys are ready for tonight. Uh, seven is a no-joke kind of film. And, you know, a lot of people... Um, uh, go back and forth if it's a scary movie or not. Nathan, it, it was um, uh, uh, funny to see you say um, on my group page how how you believe that it is a scary movie and everything because uh, like the day before, uh, I had told my uh, fiance what we were discussing this Friday. And, and he looks at me and he says, well, I thought you only did scary movies. And I said, well, uh, Seven is a scary movie. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, that Seven it fits into the subgenre of crime horror. Um, yeah. The, the aftermaths of all the crime scenes and the rest of it being filled in by your horror build imagination. imagination. It is very yep. much a horror film. Yep, I thought so too. That, that was yeah. my thinking. And that's why I worded it that way because I was like, well, if he doesn't think it's a scary movie, maybe a lot of other people don't think it's a scary movie too. So I said, well, okay, how about this? Psychological thriller. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I would argue it's, it's definitely a, a certain, a specific type of horror movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hear run of the mill like gore. Well, and actually gore is part of the film actually. So, um, but I would say it's not your run of the mill like slasher or anything like that per se. But and and I think it's a, because we are looking at it through the lens of the cop, the cops. Right. We're looking right. at th through the cops' lens instead of the killers. Right. And I that think that's mean. what set it apart from your run-of-the-mill kind of slasher yeah. horror. And I actually saw a, uh, a, a meme today that had pictures of different movies, and it said, pick your favorite horror movie genre. And it had a picture, uh, or for the subgenre of crime, it actually had a picture of Brad Pitt from Seven on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of making the rounds online and everything. So it, it listed Seven as being representative of the crime horror genre. Oh yeah, yeah. Th there's and there's plenty more of those too. Like Kiss the Girls, I think is a. Oh yeah, yeah that girl. one too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a it's a not super pervasive subgenre, but it is definitely a subgenre of, of horror. Right. right. Exactly. Well, let's go ahead and get into the questions here. Now, um, I do have some interesting questions, but I didn't get that many, many, because the movie, I, as, as, as long as it was, it was very, it's a very informative movie, but I didn't oh, yeah. really get a lot of questions out out of it i have no i i i just and i say said to my myself i'm like well how can i have a dialogue but then like i like like i just said the movie is so informative 
that you, mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even have to, yes, you don't even have to ask a question. You just throw something out there and, oh, yeah. and I'm sure any one of your questions will be like 50, like uh, right. Of answer. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So uh, now my first, my first question is, which character did you like the most? Detective Mills or Detective uh, Somerset? And Jamela, we'll go with you first. Who did you like the most? Um, I like Morgan Freeman's character the most, Somerset. Um, I don't know. He just had a, he has a presence in movies that's hard to kind of get around yeah. no matter what character he plays. Um, but he, he just, he plays such a, because his, character is a detective at the end of his kind of career right. you know he, he's wrapping it up he plays just such a kind of cool calm collective I kind of put that in my notes. you know been there done that wrote the book kind of character mm -hmm. while he's dealing with this kind of mm -hmm. hothead but you know just you know a, a character that is so vastly different from him um, that that's going to be coming into the role. So he was definitely my favorite. Yes, right? definitely. And how about how about you, Nathan? You probably have the same answer. Yeah. Um, are you going to ask least favorite too, or? Uh, yes. We're going to answer with both. Yep. Oh, you can answer with both. Yeah, you can answer with both. Um, I, I'm going to go. Especially, I just watched it. Literally, just ended the film like a few minutes ago. For like the. 200th 300th time like this is this is one of my favorite films um it's in my top five for the 90s and easily top 10 of all time for uh -huh. the entire history of cinema mm -hmm. uh, this film is is just pitch perfect frame to frame every frame is perfect um i would say though to answer the question i would go with somerset um because he is He's, he's methodical, he's intelligent, he does his research, mm -hmm. um, he is older and weary from the job because he's been around the block so many times working right. in a big city with major crimes, major homicides, and he knew from the get-go, from uh, the gluttony killing, he knew right away this is going to right. be more than just this one thing and it's going to be a you know it's going to go on and on this can't be my last case you're right uh, he was the one that pieced it together too that that we we're dealing with a serial that with the seven deadly sins right mm -hmm. um and i would contrastly to that i would say that mills is my least favorite character i actually picked up on some things with him this uh, past time obviously he's a very arrogant person yes um, he thinks he knows everything, everything. He, he doesn't he's kind of naive though because he's not familiar with the big city um but one of the things i picked up with him that was kind of distasteful honestly this time that i watched there's a couple of scenes that reveal um his character to actually mills this character to actually be a homeless mm -hmm. oh well yeah 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 i yeah. picked up on that Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he he, uh, he says the the gay f word at, some, mm. at one point, and then at another point he comments to while the while him and Somerset are waiting for the FBI guy to show up to the cafe, they're sitting in the same side of the booth, and Mills comments something about I don't want people to think we're dating. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. So it was just kind of like, I caught it this time and I was like, wow, his character is actually like a homophobe. And yeah. the way that he like it interacts with his wife and the way he interacts with Somerset and stuff, it's just kind of blatant. Um, is another aspect of his character that's kind of untasteful to me. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, with Somerset Mills, because not only is, you know, one's a veteran and one's a rookie, but they're, they couldn't be more different. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And whereas I see Somerset as being, you know, an honorable man, an intelligent and well-versed man, I see Mills as being the, the arrogant, naive, uh, doesn't know right. who doesn't know. Rookie, right? Uh, and and with Detective Mills, he wanted things done his way. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. He mm-hmm. he wanted that his way was the best way. Right, right. And, and and he and he was not by the book at all. You know, but whereas Morgan Freeman's character, he was like, well, wait a minute, there is a way to do things. Like right. when, like when they, uh, you know, they they knocked on John Doe's door. You know, and then right. you know, then you know, they got into that he little stuff. We have to have a reason to right on this door, like right? Legal reason. Yep. You can't do it just because you right. Yep. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, well, uh, while we're on the subject, Jamela, uh, who was your least favorite? Uh, I mean, uh, we already established that you know, uh, Mills and Somerset are different. So what was right. what was the um, what was what got you not to be interested in Detective Mills' character? I mean I, I, the same things. I mean he came he came across very arrogant, um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, he didn't realize the the tutelage that he was sitting up under. You know, mm-hmm. to become a detective. You know, you get under somebody with a wealth of knowledge. And it is surprising that he was behaving that way, considering where he came from to where he was. You know, like there's a big difference between rural and big city and, and things like that. Right. Really interesting You're right. that he wasn't really um, a little bit more receptive to that. Um, and the funny part about him, too, in contrast with um, Morgan Freeman is... Uh-huh. He looked so much more tattered and bruised up. I mean, literally and figuratively, but he looked like he had already been doing that job for 40 years, as opposed to Morgan Freeman, who had been doing that job for actually that long. And he <laughs> right. Much more put together and, and, and everything. And, and I mean, Mills, he just he looked worn out from the start. I mean, from the start yeah. of the movie, he looked like a worn out man, but. I think, as you pointed out, Nathan, just some of the things that he was saying, and sometimes that kind of behavior when you're just hateful and, and you got all kind of other issues yes. age, it ages you. And I think he just the way he lived his life aged him, um, you know, on, on because he was hateful behavior. He yeah. was hateful, and and and, mm-hmm. and that's what I was uh, gonna get at too, which is what's the controversial side because when I and it was kind of like you, Nathan. I uh, I saw the movie earlier before before uh, coming over to my fiance's house, and I actually uh, saw it last night too. And the more I see it, the more I think about what's going on now. 
mm-hmm. with the cops mm-hmm. and the you know and and, and the killing of of black mm-hmm. people. I saw in Detective Mills every white cop that is uh, that is killing because because they think that they are going by the book, but they're not. Right, right. Well, they're going by they're going by uh, you know kind of book, not not necessarily. Yeah, their own prejudices and exactly. That was very evident, and even look at how he treated his wife. That's why he was my least favorite character. Look at how he treated her, you know, and and of course, you know, by how he felt at the end. But I mean, look, you know, his treatment of her and and his treatment of his job, his position, it was just all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know it, if it was like a term of endearment or if he was verbally abusive or not, but uh when Somerset and Mills come over to uh Mills's uh, apartment for the dinner uh, uh-huh. on Wednesday. Um I think it's Wednesday is the day they come over, but um he he <laughs> calls his wife loser. He's like, hey, loser, how you doing? Mm. I don't know if it was a term of endearment or if, like, it was right. hinting at some sort of a domestic right. problem. Right. Another thing about Mills's character that I found off-putting was how dismissive he was of John Doe. Very. Uh, he was very much like, oh, he's just insane. You know, he even says at one point, oh, you're just, you're, you know, when you're masturbating in your own feces, you know, do you know that you're insane? Like, mm-hmm. he's just like... Yeah dismissive and so crude so crude about yeah. uh, you know like not giving him cr- the credit that he deserves right or uh, or being a real mastermind yeah. right N- not putting not giving him any respect you know mm-hmm. right <laughs> and whereas Somerset was like if you know he even tells him he's like don't just write him off as insane this guy is highly intelligent you know yeah. they mm-hmm. after they capture him they said He's highly intelligent. He's well educated. He's independently wealthy. Like, right, right. This guy like came out of nowhere. They don't know who he is, but they do know that he is a mastermind of sorts. Right. And, and see, if they, if, if he could, uh, and which he did, if he had, uh, uh, if he continued to have that, you know, uh, that attitude, you know, uh, right. oh. Yeah, you're you're just another nut. You're nothing. You're nothing special. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And, and but see, what they don't realize, the cops don't realize, is that if you continue to have that attitude, all of all of the, all of the real criminals are going to get away. Right. Yeah. It's dismissive of me you and know, right. the fact that somebody could have, you know, an uh, intellectual reason to do what they're right. Doing. Right, because there's a there's a belief, and that was evident in the movie that just you know most criminals are just these brainless people who are just doing random acts for no reason, as opposed to that these things could actually be planned out. They could be very methodical. They could be, and and sometimes it takes a lot of brains to do what they're doing, and not just waking up and just doing something crazy for right. no reason. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely not in this movie. That was... Oh, I, I mean, you just look... It's surprising, though, and I guess it was because of how naive and kind of ignorant he was, but you would think that after <clears throat> saw the effort put into some of the crimes, like with the 
the the man that he labeled as uh, sloth mm-hmm. he had been, had that man bound to that bed for a year to the day yep. they found him and it's like i'm sorry but this man whoever you know john doe that did what he did to this man that he labeled as sloth for him to do that not only must he be completely sane but he must have like the clarity of mind yep. to be able yeah. to like think that far ahead. Yep. Know that he needs to give him antibiotics so his vessels yep. don't get infected. No, you know, and like with taking his hand and using it in the greed killing and like everything else, like this person is not only intelligent and sane, but they are completely in control of what they're doing. Right. They're completely methodical. They're they're completely like masterminding a plethora of multiple crimes you know to all hit kind of during the same week right right and like that the level of intelligence and uh, self-discipline that requires is just unfathomable Uh, and you're right on nathan you are right on because i mean the time and effort it takes to do all of that okay you would have to have a same uh, you know what I'm you saying? You have to be in control of your faculty. You have to be in control. And you have to know what you're doing. And and, yep. and you definitely have to be even a person of, you even have to be a person of means and resources to do that stuff. You can't, yep. this is not something that somebody who is quote unquote maybe impoverished or doesn't have any money or a vehicle or, you know, the, you the, this those crimes that this man was committing this is done by a person of means yes of, of good means was he uh not only was he paying john doe was not only paying his own rent but for that year that he had the sloth guy tied up he was mm-hmm. paying his rent on time exactly every month right yep yep and so yeah he definitely had means yep he had means and he had motive for sure for right. sure and and now uh, uh uh for your uh the question that you asked uh Nathan and which I thought hard I thought long and hard about. Oh yeah, I have so much to say about that now that I want. <laughs> yeah, uh you know, you said uh you know, do do you think John Doe was religious or was it just the or was it just the means, you know, to kill, you know. Yeah, well, I was saying is he a religious fundamentalist or is he just choosing the seven deadly sins because he knows people yeah. know what they are. Right. right. And and my answer, answer my okay. answer to that, then I'll let you answer uh Jamila, yeah. and then I'll let you answer yeah. it as well, Nathan. Uh but my my answer to that is I don't think that he was religious at all. I think he just used the deadly sins to mm-hmm. To kill people, and I and, and I'll tell you why I think that because because um, if you remember, uh, Somerset was reading from his journal, and and he had read one of uh, one of the stories that said that um, he was talk he was talking to a gentleman, I guess, on the subway, and and you know they were just being pleasant to one another one another, and then. He he proceeded to throw up on him, and then after he threw up on him, he started laughing. You know, so that commented on the banality of the conversation. 
Huh? Oh, uh, in that section of the journal, uh, he said the reason he threw up on him was because he was struck by how banal or the banality of the conversation with that person was, how just like run of the mill, like just boring, like I mm. like the fact he he was almost saying like that man was so consumed by just everyday life that his eyes weren't open to the reality of life. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, and I was thinking in my head, well, I don't think that he was religious because I, I, I don't think a, a religious person or, a, you know, a, a Christian person or even a Jewish person, I don't think uh, they would react in that manner. Uh, so I, I I say that he was not a religious man. I just think that he was killing for the fun of it, but he used the seven deadly sins as a tool uh, to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what is your opinion of, of that question, Jamila? I mean, it's I, I don't have a. I don't really have a definitive um, answer for that. I could see, I could see him being a person maybe who was religious and mm-hmm. for whatever reason turned away. Um, oh yeah, and just yeah. used that knowledge to do what he did. But I could equally see him as being a person who's not, um, because one thing I know about a lot of people that are not religious, and I hate that term anyway. I do too, Jola. I hate know, that term. <laughs> One thing that I I know about a lot of people who don't ascribe to a faith is, ironically, they tend to study a lot of faiths. Now, they they may be atheists or they may say, I'm not a Christian or I'm not this or I'm not that. But you will find that a lot of those people are more intelligent when it comes to religious communities. They know a lot about those communities that they distance themselves from. So I could see him as just being a person who's out to prove, you know, why this religion is wrong or, or whatever, too. So, I, you know, I could, I could see him as either way. He, he comes across more to me as not. But I mean, I could I could see him as either way if that's what, you know, right. came out in a, a movie review or something. Right. <clears throat> Uh, and Nathan, finally, what about what's your uh, take on this? Because I, uh, you just got done with the movie for the right. millionth time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> watched this so many times growing up. It, I mean, it's always been a favorite. Um, at first, when I asked that question to you in the in the message, um, I was thinking more on the side of what y'all two have said. Mm-hmm. But I really paid, with that question in mind, I really paid close, close, close attention to the answer to that question when I was watching it just now. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a few things. So when we go into John Doe's apartment, he has crosses everywhere. He has Bibles everywhere. He has... Also, all manner of torture devices. Um, he has mm. trophy cases for the kills that he has completed. Mm. Um, but based off of his apartment and the things that he subsequently says while in custody at the end of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, for one thing, first thing about John Doe, 
I would say, is he is a misanthrope. He hates humankind. Mm. But I believe that the reason he hates humankind is because of the general acceptance of sin in the world. And yeah. he even states that only in a world, you know, excuse my French, you know, this is what he says on the top. He said, only in a world this shitty mm-hmm. can these people be considered innocent. Right. Yes. And he talks about their sins and he talks about what they've done and how they were unrepentant in what they were doing. And I believe that based on what he said, uh, based on what we know about him in the film, especially from looking at his home, um, I do believe that he is a religious fundamentalist, meaning mm-hmm. he takes a very strict and severe uh, line on religious principles. Uh, I don't yeah, believe yeah. he belongs to a church or that he even calls himself a Christian per se. Right, right. But I do believe that he has become so consumed by extremist fundamentalism that he that is why he ultimately commits the murders is to show the world there is punishment. There are consequences for these sins. Right, right. He, he executes those consequences expertly with each of his victims. And yeah. so uh, to answer that question, uh, I believe that he's definitely uh, a religious fundamentalist. I don't think he belongs to any kind of known sect or, or denomination or anything like that. Right, um, right. But I do believe that he, uh, you know, and one of the other things that's interesting that I picked up this time that I hadn't caught before was they talked about how John Doe has a limp. Mm -hmm. Based off of some of the torture devices and things that they did show that he had at his home and based off of my belief that he was a religious fundamentalist, but in his own right, um, it reminded me of the character of Silas from the Da Vinci Code. Um, Silas wore what is called a cerise mm-hmm. and a cerise is basically a barbed wire or barbed um, fastener band that you put over your leg, over your thigh and you tighten it down until it digs into your skin and yeah. the reason Silas wore that in um, the Da Vinci Code was as penitence uh, he wore it as like uh, talking about like Paul's thorn in the side, right, right. about like uh, he wore it basically as penitence for his sins, right. Um, and I believe, uh, without having a ton of evidence, but based off of what I know about John Doe in the film, I would say that the reason John Doe has that limp is that he is probably also wearing a cerise, punishing himself, punishing himself. Sins. Because there's no reason he wouldn't have held himself to the same standard that he was holding his victims because oh, yeah. that's not who he is. Right. Yeah. Because in the end, he did hold himself. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I really think that he wore a cerise or did some other form of self-flagellation that resulted in his lump. Right. All, all that's, right. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> And uh, now, uh, uh, well, and well, since we're already talking about it, you know, how, how yeah. does how does seven pertain to the Bible uh, to you, you okay. all? Now, I, I did come up with the scripture. I don't know if it uh, if it kind of uh, if it really fits. Uh, um, 
seven. But I mean, but, but when I looked at the movie, I this is the scripture that I came up with. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 and 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. And to, in due time, their, uh, the, their foot will slip, you know. And, and I think the Lord had put that in my in my uh, head and in my heart uh, concerning this movie because, you know, John Doe was kind of like vengeful in a way. You know, right. he's killing these people, you know, you know, as according to their sin. So right. he, said, he said God works in mysterious ways. He thought right. that God was using him as a tool to en- enact his vengeance on people. Right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting verse that you chose that, though, because that's very much, I think, in line with John Doe. Like, it, the only difference being that he took that verse and he twisted it to God is going to use me right. as his tool for vengeance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and, and, and that's... That's really what um, uh, what scary movies do in a way. They kind of like twist the truth, you know. Yeah, you just take it, yeah. and turn it on the, its head, yeah. and all of a sudden you've got a serial killer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Jamila, what are your thoughts about it? Um, you know, I hadn't thought too much of you know. I was really trying to refresh my memory so much with I I. I watched Seven a ton of times um, way back when because I really did love the movie and I really did enjoy it. So um, I was trying to refresh my mind about a lot of the different scenes and what happened and what was going on. I think um, a scripture that kind of stood out that kind of just popped into my head just literally off the cuff is... um, he who was without sin cast the first stone. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't know why that popped into my head because, um, I mean, John Doe's whole point was that everybody was full of sin and he needed to show how much sin was there. But then at the same oh. time, he was equally reflecting because he himself is, you know, he himself had participated in sin by doing what right. he's doing and that showed in what he did at the very end of the movie so yeah, I, I thought about that he admitted that his sin was envy yep and that yep. he was one of the the pawns in the grand scheme right yep right yeah and, and that you just can't escape you know it, it you know it's, it's one of those things where you know people want to um, the other scripture that pops out now that I'm talking about it is, you know, um, you know, when, when you see, when you see the speck in someone else's eye, but you don't see the log in your own, Yeah, uh, you know, that he, you know, he and anybody else, you know, looking at what other people are doing and you have so much to say about it and how it's so wrong and this, this, that and the other, but you too have your things, you have your issues exactly. and, you know, while we're all trying to be judgmental and evaluating each other, we all need to just be dealing with ourselves. Self-examination. To deal with other people. Self-examination. Examine yep. yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. in the and that's in the word too. Examine yep. yourself. I think that leading up, like years and years and years leading up to the the killings, that John Doe had been examining himself. 
but that and hence why he would have used like a cerise or some other mm-hmm. form of self punishment for what he for his own sense. But I think it got to the point where when he went out in the world, all he could see it was almost like he had quote unquote taken care of his own sins or he was doing the penitence for his own sins. Right. But when he went out in the world he saw so many people just unabashedly freely and openly sinning and he felt like that eventually he got to a point where he felt like well if they're not going to have consequences for their sins then I will give them consequences for their sins right and so I think it finally got to that point you know he had obviously written you know Somerset said that there were 2,000 notebooks written with like two lines of text per line on the page 250 pages each He's, you know, this guy had been writing about his grievances with the world and his grievances with humankind for years. Um, and I think he finally reached a point where he felt like I need to teach the world a lesson and show right. them that if you don't, you know, watch out, your sins will catch up with you. Right. And there will be real world consequences for your sins in this life. Right. Right. Yes. And it's the truth. I mean, there are there are actually real life consequences to any sin, you know, to to, to any sin, you know, and uh, including including his, you know, which was, you know, he was envious of Detective Mills or what have you. Right. And, and, you know, and and, uh, and and there is no, you know, one sin is greater than the other, you know, because sin is sin to God, you know, to God, sin is sin, you know, so there is no, not one greater, you know, and, and I think that's what John Doe's quote unquote message was, you know, no sin is greater than the other. It's all bad. And, and this is your punishment. You know, that, that's what his, whole quote-unquote message was, I believe. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, though, that with each person, he enacted a different type of kill because he basically took the individual sins of the people and he turned it against them. Uh, yes, you know, exactly. He, he, he made him eat until he died. Right, um, right, right. The interesting and, one was the, the pride one. Which he, actually, he the- uh, I'm sorry, Nathan, I don't mean to cut you off or anything, but actually talking about all of this, it actually leads to my next question to you guys, which is, which death did you guys think was more creative? You know, uh, I mean, because uh, all of it was horrible. All the death scenes, you know, and we didn't, and that was genius, actually, on the director's part or the writer's part, whoever thought about that. You know, with, uh, we didn't see what happened, but we came in on the aftermath of what happened. And we we could see the, like, crime scenes or what have you, and and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, that, like you said before, Nathan, our imaginations, you know, our are scarier than anything. So, yeah, and that's here. Therein lies the rub of it being very much a horror movie. Is I think our minds, uh, a person's mind, when they watch Seven, 
makes it even more of a horror movie than it is at face value because yep. the fact that our minds, you know, with the images we do see or the descriptions we hear, we take it to that next level, that next kind of sick, twisted, like, yep. oh, my gosh, what is this horrific thing that happened? You know, what happened during the crime, you know, just based exactly. off of the crime photos or, or things like that. And so it, it's almost like our minds turn it into even more of a horror movie than it is mm-hmm. on the surface level because of yep. You know, especially those of us that watch a lot of horror movies, right. our minds are very creative and very imaginative. Right. So it's easy to imagine the the gruesome nature of the, the crimes being committed, even though we don't see that aspect. Right. Right. And, and, and so uh, what, which one did you guys think was very creative? Like for me, I thought uh, uh, the, the one that was very, really creative – to me, in my mind, uh, and I wouldn't want it. To, I, I wouldn't want it done to me. That's for sure. But um, uh, the the rape scene with the prostitute and the man who had the gun in his mouth, and he told Ooh. him to have yes. se- have sex with her with yeah. this blade on. And I'm like, right. oh, oh my gosh! No, my imagination with that just went through the roof. <laughs> I imagine too, especially as a woman, like seeing the image of that that blade with the leather straps. Yeah, yeah, um, and because and I mean, he's literally like, like tearing her up from on the yeah. inside. Yep. I mean, I even cringe at that, and I'm a man, <laughs> but it, the, just imagining like what that must have felt like, the damage it must have done, totally horrific totally next level horror type cinema. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's why that was mine. So yeah. so Nathan, uh what was yours? Uh or was it the same? Um well that one is definitely I would say the most gruesome and the most vile of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um just the imagining what that blade, you know, we see the picture of it mm. and we see that it's attached to like a dummy like mm-hmm. a mannequin, and you see how it fits mm-hmm. on a man, and you see the man who was forced to do what he did, and his reaction, and he was like freaking out, saying he made me do it. He had the gun yeah. in my mouth. He, he he made me have sex with her with this thing on. Like he's just totally like in post traumatic stress. Oh yeah, uh, very much so. Thing. That's definitely the most gruesome. One of the ones, the one I was talking about a minute ago, or started talking about was the pride murder where he, he gave the, the woman, he glued a phone in one hand and sleeping pills in the other. And he cut up her face, cut off her nose. And he said, you have two choices. You can either live disfigured, call nine one one and stay alive and be disfigured. Or you can take the oh, sleeping yeah. pills and kill yourself. And so he gave her like an ultimatum. He didn't give an ultimatum to any other victim. Yes. Um, but he gave the woman that he labeled as pride, he gave her an ultimatum of, do you want to live disfigured or do you want to die because you are disfigured? Um, and so that, that was probably the most interesting one, I would say. Yeah, because of the that, that to me, her death was like kind of like a learning tool because right. how like, can you be so, so prideful? How can you right. be, you know... Just what you don't value. She didn't value her life. That's what it was. 
she valued her good luck. That's right. A, yep. But she, she didn't value her life. Right. Yeah. And there's a big yeah, difference. Oh, that's okay. You're fine. <laughs> You're fine. But, now, yeah, I mean, there's the a blood. big difference between having value in your life and having value on your looks. Big right. difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say that they're all unique, though. Like the gluttony scene, the first crime scene that they oh, did. Yeah. I think is pretty pretty brutal because you can yeah. tell like what's going on like when they they go in there and then they're like you know Mills says who said this was murder and Somerset goes nobody did and but then they notice that he's bound at his ankles and his wrists mm-hmm. and that there's no way he could have killed himself and then the fact that they found like two receipts from the store meaning they the killer like stopped halfway through the torture and right, went, it the went out and got some more. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he fed them the little pieces of linoleum for the, the linoleum floor in the kitchen so that he could leave them to the back of the refrigerator where he had mm-hmm. grease. Like it's just so like every one of these crimes, like that one, the greed where you were greed on the floor and the blood, like just all of it, like it's all so poetic. Like, yes. as they say multiple times throughout the film, uh, Somerset says it a lot, and Mills finally agrees with him towards the end. He said, he, he keeps saying over and over, he keeps saying, he's preaching. Yeah. The John Doe, he, with I these crime that. scenes, with this, what he's doing, he is preaching. And I thought that was interesting. And yeah, it's so interesting that. that you just said that it's poetic because we said the same. Th- Remember, Jim Alu, we said the same thing about Candyman. Yep. Yep. Very much so. Absolutely. So, so Jamala, uh, what's your um, opinion about, you know, uh, which crime scene was kind of like creative, you know, a creative kill or death? I, well, I would. I mean, definitely, they all in their own way were created. You know, yeah. one one thing that was really interesting was um, I was reading on Rotten Tomatoes, um, somebody who had kind of given it a, a thumbs down um, was saying that all of the scenes were just so unlikely and so unrealistic, even for the smartest person to do, which was really interesting. But I mean. <laughs> The, the glutton scene was the first scene, and that just, I think it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. But my favorite one was the one that we didn't get to see. I know we didn't get to see any of them, but my favorite one was the one we didn't get to see at all, and that is what was at the end. Oh, yeah. I was just blown think, hearing him talk about it and processing what was in the box and processing... Mm-hmm what Brad Pitt didn't know about his wife being pregnant. That, to me, was... I mean, that's definitely my favorite scene of the movie, period, because Brad Pitt acted his tail off he in the whole movie, but definitely in the end. And, and and that scene right there, because it left so much to the imagination, you could have went any way with that. But we... Yep. Like, you walked away knowing exactly what you didn't see, but that doesn't mean that we all saw it the same. It just... Yeah, that was a very well written, well written, well put together, yeah. everything scene in a movie. Yeah. Period. I, yeah, it they was just that unbelievable. Quick, uh, 
they do that quick flash of going to Paldro's face yep. on the screen. Yep. It's almost like I, I think I paused it years ago. I think mm-hmm. I like on my DVD player, like scan through and pause it. And it's actually a flash of her head inside the box. Yep. Yep. And then you see the, you see the cool, the cool, calm, collected Morgan Freeman for once flare up in anger when he slaps John Doe. Yeah. Because, you know, because he's, yeah, because he's getting ready to tell information that, you know, he didn't know. So I I mean, that was just my favorite. Yep. He smacks him. Yep. John Doe has the upper hand. He does. Yep. He did. He has the upper hand. He did. And that's why Somerset was trying to tell Mills, look, don't dismiss this guy. Don't he's yeah, not right. just your run of the mill killer. You know, right. he so is very he's too intelligent. Yeah. Very intelligent. You know And it, already in your head. He's he's already if you if you're dismissing him, then you're giving him room to be in your head as well. And I mean, he yeah. was all in his head in that last scene. It, there was, oh, yeah. and, and I think anybody would have reacted. It is, like he said, he says, become vengeance, become wrath. Yep. yep. Become wrath. Yep. He said, he admitted to his, his envy. He said, I envy you. I envy mm-hmm. your life. And then he told Mills, become vengeance, become yep. wrath. And those were the two bodies. The two yeah. bodies were, well, and it can be viewed several ways. The two bodies could have been the body of Mills' wife plus himself, John Doe. But right. it also could have figuratively been the body of Detective Mills himself because right. his life. Remember, uh, John Doe said in the police car on the way there, he said, you will live. You know, I, I, I saved your life that day. I didn't kill you in that alley in the rain. Mm-hmm. He said, you will live as long as I allow you to. And in doing what he did at the end, he was basically ending Mills's life because yep. he was going to be his career for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yep. You're right about so that. In a way, yep. he was the second body because his life was effectively ended that day. Right. Yep. And you're right about that, Nathan. You are totally right. And, and, and it's so funny because now you know I, I'm thinking. Well, hey. You know, it seems to me that John Doe was kind of the devil. And I say that because, well, let's look at the characteristics of the devil. The devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's basically what John Doe did, you know. You know, even though... Uh, you know, he, you know, he, he says that, you know, no, you know, sin is bad, bad and blah, 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 you know, but, but he killed these people. He destroyed their right. lives, you know, right. and, and, and he stole from them, which is exactly what the devil does. Mm-hmm. You know, he is see, he twist the devil twists God's word. You know, right. remember, uh, you know, on the mount when he had Jesus on the mount. Remember, um, Jamila? You know, he was. Um, he said, "Well, you know, God says this." The God said, and Jesus has to remind him, like, "No, no, this is what the word is." You know, right, uh, right. And and, and, uh, and you know, so you know, we have all that going on, and that's how, and that's why I always say. 
you know, uh, scary movies, they are, some of them, you know, maybe not Midsummer, but some of them really does go into Christian, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they, they twist it, you know, they twist it, but for the most part, it's there, you know, it's there. Yeah. And I think some of them even, I mean, it, I think a lot of them start with that theme in mind. I mean, because the, the whole idea is, again, you're talking about good versus evil. And I right. think most of them start with that theme in mind anyway. You know, that you're trying to show, you know, this struggle between good and evil and how good can overcome the evil, you know, or whatever ultimately your your theme is going to be. But we see that in so many um, films. Yeah. We see it play out that way. So, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it's just that's why I love scary movies so much. I love scary movies, uh, you know, outside of them being fun, because some of them, especially in the 80s and the 90s, they were fun movies. You know, you have fun watching scary movies. But but right. uh, in, in that same in a different aspect from that, you have, have all of these deep messages. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what. And that's what I show during my podcast, during our discussions. We we see that that there's a lot hidden, you know, there's a lot of meat in these fun, scary movies that right. we didn't even think. Right. Yep. You know, uh, we're, we're thinking we're just watching Seven. We're thinking we're just watching uh, The Terminator. We're thinking we're just watching I Know What You Did Last Summer or any of the, uh, you know, any of the scary movies. We just think that we're watching them. We're having fun, you know, watching these killers kill people and stuff like that. But when you get into the meat of it all, it's like it has a, it has a message. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't thought that because I actually picked up on it now more than ever before there's actually quite a bit of few humorous moments throughout the film that kind of break the tension a little oh yeah i mean the obvious the obvious most glaring example of that would be when somerset says you live in a loving caring vibrating home right (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was my that was actually one of my favorite uh Lines. Yeah. And then Bill was like, I don't think he says to his wife, I don't know why you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <You live here." laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> See, that's interesting. That reminds me of another thing. Uh, um, Mills was very unread and very unintelligent. Like he, the fact that he wouldn't even read the book. Because he thought he knew everything. Because he just, like, he couldn't even extend himself enough or change who he was enough to, like, do the proper research. Right. You know, that he needed to do. Yeah. Like, he did a little bit of research, but it was more, like, surface level. Whereas, you know, if he would have really delved into it the way Somerset did at the library that one night then he would have not been so dismissive of John Doe when he met him. 
Right. Right. Yep. Oh, and I do want to say one other thing mm-hmm. before I forget. The opening title sequence with the Nine Inch Nails closer music. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. The visual, and the visuals they show is one of the best opening title sequences of any movie ever. It is. It is. And I actually researched that, and a, a lot of people thought that same thing. A lot of people yeah. say that it was genius. I I, I didn't put and it in my fun facts, like but his fingerprints off and writing in the journals, and like you get like kind of a premonition of things to come in the opening titles. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, now I didn't put this in my fun facts. I should have, but I didn't. But I did form it in a question. Now, what would what do you guys think about the sequel? Because they actually were going to do a sequel. They didn't, but they were going to. What do you guys think about that? Do you guys think there should be a sequel? Or should should it have been a sequel? Uh, uh, what do you say, Nathan? Um, I think much like how the film relies on your imagination to imagine the brutality and gruesomeness of the kills. I think the ending, the way it ends is perfect because it allows you to imagine a new world post John Doe, post seven deadly sins murders. Uh, It forces you to imagine a world that is beyond that, where the world is aware of this man's masterwork his masterpiece that he created with all these kills um a world where people are aware that there was this you know let's say they call him the seven deadly sin killer mm-hmm. um it, from there on out from the end of the film to moving forward i could i could see somerset writing a book about the seven deadly sins killer Oh, yeah. With his well researched knowledge, laying out the entire scenario and laying out what transpired and delving deep into this man's psyche, John Doe. You know, I see him reading those journals and including information and quotes from them in his book. And I see like this entire world beyond the ending of the film. And even though I see that, I don't, I don't know that we need a actual sequel. I feel like what you're able to imagine, what I was able to imagine right. from the end of the film, that it's a complete film, that it is a frame for frame, perfect film, that if you added anything to it, it would really take away from the perfection that is already there. Yeah. 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 There's some movies that don't need a sequel. And, yep. and, and Jamila, what what is your uh, thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, I I 100% agree. I, I just think this is one of those movies that was made in almost perfection from beginning to end. And to me, yeah. there would be nothing, nothing more to develop. They, they answered all questions. We, we didn't leave that movie with unanswered questions. You're right about it. We can leave 
wondering what was this or wondering what was that. I mean, I guess we can leave any movie saying, I wonder what would happen if they would make a sequel. I mean, you can yeah. make a sequel out of anything, but um, I agree. I think it'll take away from the movie um, by doing a sequel. Um, those characters, um, Kevin Spacey's character, Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman's character, Brad Pitt's character, I think there's so many movies, um, even though we talked about Kiss the Girls, a couple other ones that were similar, even with Morgan Freeman. Along yes. came a spider. Along came a yes. spider. I think so many movies tried to model themselves after Seven. Mm-hmm. Because yep. you notice right after Seven, there were a number of movies that were kind of like that in that yep. same vein. Yeah, and that even starred Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And, and, and that, like you said, and that even started Morgan Freeman. So I think that that case in point shows right there how good of a movie that was, that there were so many movies that tried to kind of emulate that. I, I don't uh-huh. uh, Like I said, I think every question was answered in that movie. Every hole was filled. Yep. You know, we, we, we knew everything. And, yep. and that's it. And, and, plus, and the rest you can imagine. Yeah. And the rest you can't imagine. And plus, at this point, Well, I'm not going to say that. Some films have been successful doing sequels significantly um, later in years. But I think that, you know, because they are looking into reviving some movies, redoing some movies or making sequels out of movies that were like 20 years ago. To me, this is not a good one to go back and try to figure out how we can redo it or recreate it. I, yeah. I, this this is not one. I, I could give them a couple other ones, but yeah. this one would not be one. Well, and it's interesting that, that you mentioned that. Like, it almost makes me think if they did do a sequel to this film, if they did do it, not mm-hmm. saying that I think they should, but mm-hmm. if they did do a sequel to Seven, the interesting way to go about it would be obviously to have it be a person who had studied John Doe's manifesto, mm-hmm. you know, his manifesto of notebooks, um, somebody that became an admirer. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. maybe approaching the film from the perspective of a copycat killer as opposed mm-hmm. to the perspective of the cops. Right. So, you know, I would say that, you know, if they did do a sequel, it would have to be, like, completely different. It would have to be from the perspective of the copycat killer versus the perspective of the cops and kind of make it its own thing. Yeah. Um, But as far as, like, the way the story was told and and what was revealed, I I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, I I don't either. I don't either. Not even if it's a reboot, because I think this... I think this movie is such a classic that it doesn't even right. need it doesn't even need a reboot or anything like that. No, and and I would be all. too scared that when they did a reboot that we would see each and every crime being done. And I don't want right, to see right. no I don't want to see nobody being raped the way that you know my mind went to how that girl was right. raped. And I don't want to see yeah. I, I I I don't want to see somebody kill themselves just because they don't want to be disfigured. You know, I, I, right, I that, right. that's, 
know, personally, I do not want to see any of that. And I just know that if they were to reboot this movie, that that's what we what we would have. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I think they tried to accomplish a lot of that through the Saw movies that I was yeah. not a big fan of. And we, we um, saw, well, you know, we saw a lot of that, maybe not in as good of detail as Seven, but I'm saying in just those, the mind games and the what would you do to be free or what would you do to help somebody else kind of, you right. know, thought pattern. And I just wanted to add, though, really quickly, too. Kevin Spacey, though I know Kevin Spacey is, you know, has had some different accusations and things oh, yeah, like I mean, so many others. He, yeah, that, that's a whole different subject. But Kevin Spacey in this movie, Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects, which is probably my favorite Kevin Spacey movie ever. Yeah, that's that my fiance's favorite Kevin Spacey movie. He is I, I'm I'm just gonna push it. He is like the best at these kind of characters. He these is. characters yeah. right here. That character he played in Seven, and that character he played in the Usual Suspects. You do not see many actors pulling that those kind of characters off, and he well, pulls it off. Every not time. even today. Even his character of Frank Underwood from uh, yep. House of Cards. He's, yep. he's always been a great villain. Yes. So it's interesting you brought that up, though, because I did want to say something about it. Um, as a bisexual man, that uh, mm-hmm. when Kevin Spacey decided to come out as gay be- during mm-hmm. his accusations of, you know, molestation and grooming right. and so on and so forth, <clears throat> rape and whatnot, right. I think it is extremely unfortunate that he is that kind of person, that he would participated in said acts. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I will, I can't say that if he came back that I would ever watch a Kevin Spacey movie ever again. Right. But I will say that the films that I grew up on, films like The Usual Suspects and Seven and many others, that I will still cherish those films for what they are. uh, Mm -hmm. Because I saw them, you know, before these things happened. Sure before you know and so it's difficult like you know it kind of comes up to pass when you think of like brian singer and it's like well he directed all these x-men movies but then it came out that he was a you know pedophilic raper you know i I, as a result of what happened with brian singer i've never seen the film bohemian rhapsody because Mm -hmm. it came out after his accusations towards him. Mm, yeah and so i will not see a film directed by brian singer after right the after knowing sure films yeah. that came before that like i'm not going to be like oh well i don't like watching x-men anymore because of what happened later right like it's not going to change my opinion on the film but right. moving forward sure knowing what we know now i would not you know pay money Right. Um, to go see, you know, or like what Joss Whedon with the allegations against mm-hmm. him and cheating on his wife and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a series that he did called Firefly, and it's an amazing science fiction series, and I own it. Mm-hmm. And a while back, they came out with a, a new edition on Blu-ray, and I chose not to spend my money on it because I mm-hmm. don't want to give my money anymore to Joss Whedon now that I know what I know. Sure. Right. But I will still keep the copy of Firefly that I have, and I will continue to watch it every now and again. 
Um, but, you know, it's a matter of principle as yep. far as, you know, like not wanting to, right. to spend more money for another copy of something. Right. It's going to somehow give money to these people who are predators. Sure. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and, you know, I feel that same way about the director for uh, Deeper's Creepers because, you know, he yep. is a pedophile. I was going to mention that. Yeah. And I, that's why I haven't even discussed any of the deeper creepers movies on, on my podcast yet because I'm I, I'm going back and forth about it. You know, I'm like, well, right. should I? But then I don't know because I don't want to glorify a, a right. pedophile. You know, well, but here's the thing with the deeper creepers guy. The the reason I would say that that one is different than these others is that the man who made deeper creepers was convicted. He went to prison. He served his time, according to the justice system, mm-hmm. and then he was released, you know, on the registry. Um, and then many, 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 many years later, he made Jeepers Creepers. Mm-hmm. And I would say that his situation is different, and I don't have a problem with him as much as I do some of these other guys because he's actually served his time for what he did. Oh, okay. Whereas a lot of these other guys have not been convicted yet. They've never served time. They haven't right. They haven't had their comeuppance for what they did. Right. When the guy that did Jeepers Creepers actually did go to trial. He was convicted. He was put on the sexual registry. He did serve his time. Oh, okay. And so for me, that's a little bit different um, because I'm a huge fan of the first two Jeepers Creepers films. Yeah, and so am I. I, I actually really still, like I find them. still liking those films less distasteful because of the fact that he actually served his time mm-hmm. and was convicted, whereas people like Kevin Spacey are yet to see their day in prison. Right, right. Yep. I understand that. Yep. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just a matter of, it is a matter of personal taste. This is right. a very touchy topic in the horror community. Oh, right. yeah. Especially yeah. with the Cheapers Creepers guy. And, and that's why I said at the beginning of the podcast, I said it, it, this might get controversial. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we have to talk about it, though. If you're watching a film with right. someone like Kevin Spacey, you do have to address this issue. Absolutely. Forward. Absolutely. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, it, it, you know, that's why, you know, I love my podcast so much because. And each and every podcast, you get information, you know, through the discussions, you get information yeah. that you didn't even think about. Yep. Yep. I, I, I love it. I love my podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's important to discuss these issues when they come up, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and even, uh, and not only that, but even in terms of the racial tensions, you know, like, like I said, yeah, you know, like- before, you know. Detective Mills, his character reminded me a lot of how the these um white cops oh boy white cops. Yeah. Right. How these white yeah. cops are towards us. They're like, you know what? You guys are criminals. You guys are the, you, right. you know, it, it, there was yeah. no black and white for Detective Mills. Right. You yeah. were who you were and we must stop you. Right. Yep. 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 So. I mean, I agree with that. I feel like there is a lot of 
arrogance and naivete and, uh, um, you know, thinking they know what's right in these cops that are committing these atrocious acts against the black population. I think it's, it's very, you know, very upsetting and very disconcerting to see that there's this, these people, even in the year 2020, that believe in the things that, you know, like our grandparents might have believed in. It's just like, right. how many years has it been? You know, it's been 60 years since civil rights. Right. Like the fact that we're still experiencing. You're right. Uh, people like Detective Mills mm-hmm. who are, even though they're young, they're ingrained in their ways. They've right. been taught a certain way to believe a certain way to believe in certain prejudices. Or right writing people off as insane or writing people off as you're the bad guy, like, you know. Right, exactly. It's what it's what produces people like Chauvin who, you know, put his knee on George right. Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds or whatever. Right. You know, I mean, yep. it's just that good old boy network of, yep. you know, that you so right, don't want to learn anything else and we're yep. going to do what we do. You're so right. And Nathan, uh, before I go further, I just want to thank you for, because uh, 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 Jamila, uh, I've been Nathan's Facebook friend for a while now, and, and Nathan has, uh, he is all for the Black Lives Matter movement, and he yep. just, uh, him and his wife, they're they're both yeah. so very, you know, very, just just good people. Just good. Yeah, people. and I know the the people on the podcast can't see it, but this is my Black Lives Matter tattoo. Oh wow, cool. Um, oh. and my wife for my birthday actually just got me this this watch. I don't know if you can see it, but it's oh, a I Black Lives Matter yeah. uh, watch band for my Apple Watch. She just yeah. gave it to me for my birthday. Oh, um, I'm very much um a part of the, the movement and wanting to be a part of the solution yeah. in any way that I can be. I don't say that to brag. I just say that to say, you know, I have compassion and sure. I have a heart for, for what's going on. And it means a lot to me to, you know, try and be whatever uh, of a positive yeah. solution that I can be. Right. It's just, it, you know, it's at, at the heart of all of it. It's, it's a humanity issue. It, it's yeah. an issue where we need to be fighting to make sure that people see other people that are not like them as human. Because yeah. if you start to see people as human, then you won't treat them like animals. You won't treat right. them like, and, and I, I'm not saying we should be treating animals bad either, but just, try, yeah. you know, making the point of when you see humanity in people, you don't keep your your knee on their neck for almost nine minutes. That right. that that just the humanity in that is non-existent. Right, it's non-existent, and that, and that's what the heart of it. This book right here, white fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism by Robin D'Angelo. This is an excellent, the foreword is by Michael Eric Dyson. Um, Robin D'Angelo is a white woman herself that wrote this book. Mm. This book is unbelievable. I, I feel like the whole United States should just stop what we're doing <laughs> and study this book and set up a million Zoom calls and clusters so we can talk about it. I'm reading it um, with, a, with a 
What's send, that? Me, send me a picture of that book. Oh yeah, so sure. To get it. It, it's it's a great book. I don't mean to take over your uh, podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, no problem. It's it's a great book. I'm reading it with a group of teachers and administrators in my county um, to start to have conversations this fall. But it's such a great book, and not just because it's written from a white woman's perspective, but I think that that part is important. That piece yeah. right there, because. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, she talks about a lot of the realizations within herself that she had to deal with um, and, and that she had to wake up to. And again, yeah. just thinking about the film Seven, Brad Pitt's character as an officer is the very thinking that this movement is trying to fight against. You cannot right. be a public servant and have that level of disdain for another human being. That's, that's right. not the right job for you. You can't be a public servant and do that. So he did a good job depicting, you know, his character in that movie. I know they didn't go really deep into it, but, um, you know, that that was an important piece to pull out in the movie because it spoke more about his character. And it's right. unfortunate that even from 1995 to 2020, I think you just said that, Nathan, we're still looking at some of the same mentalities. And it's not yeah. just older people. It is the younger yeah. and their grandchildren that they have taught this over time. Well, and that's yeah. the thing that it is taught. Racism is a taught behavior. Absolutely. Born, you know, I mean, there's even records of, of during slave times in America where uh, when the, the black children of the slaves, when their children were you know, when they were kids, they would let them play with the white sons and daughters of the slave owners. Mm-hmm. But when they got to a certain age, they separated them and make the black people slaves. Yeah. Like it just shows that what that shows is that innately in us as, you know, when we're kids, before we're taught racism, mm-hmm. we, we will interact with and have fun with and play around with people of other races, but then yep. when we are taught to hate, it becomes systemic, it becomes, right. you know, all over the place, and, and, yep. and it's something that we're not inherently inclined towards, but it's something that's taught. Yeah. And Absolutely. I do feel like, going back to the movie, I feel like in a different kind of movie, we would, you know, if there was a, a movie with Detective Mills set in today's world, I feel like he would be that racist cop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like he would be that police officer who learned a certain thing and is operating under a certain auspice that yes. that inclines him towards, uh, uh, you know, uh, prejudice. Yep. Yep. Agreed. 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 Yep. Yes, very much so. Well, guys, I don't have any more questions, but I do have some fun facts here that I want to share with you mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Uh, fun fact number one is um, se- uh, Seven came from the mind of a record store employee. Screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker, that was his name, that's his name, was a graduate of Penn State, film, uh, the film uh um, I'm sorry. He was a graduate of the Penn State Film Program, and several years later, uh, he he was no closer to achieving his goal of writing in the industry. 
So to make ends meet, he worked at a New York City Tower uh, record store. And Walker was so depressed that he wrote a bleak and oppressive script about the hunt for a killer who uses the seven deadly sins um, as inspiration for his crimes. So he uh, sent the script to a professional writer, David Coeck, and then followed up with a phone call. And Coeck agreed to send it to his agent, who found a buyer for it in New Line Cinema. And uh, uh, and after after Coeck read the um, script, he advised Walker that he needed professional help. So. And uh, fun fact number two is during the scene in which Pitt's character, Detective David Mills, is chasing the killer through a perpetually uh, rainy backdrop, Pitt slipped and drove his arm through a windshield. The resulting uh, it, it resulted in a uh, in an injury that severed his tendon, and it was so deep that it went down to the bone. So Pitt had to wear a cast for the rest of filming, which was written in the script. So so when you wow. said that he looked beat up, he kind of was. <laughs> yeah, he was. Oh, my goodness. I guess that explains <laughs> the arm cast. Yeah, yep. I was going to say, that's why his arm was in the Because they don't really show, like, how he got his arm hurt in the film. No. And no, they like just kind of wrap that in with what John Doe had done to him. Mm-hmm. And my fun fact number three is um, uh, to cast the role of a victim who was chained to a bed and starved, uh, producers had only two criteria. The ability to uh, lay down for a long period of time and a very slight frame. And at 98 pounds, the actor Michael Red McCoy fit the profile. Wow, that was... It's interesting you mentioned that scene because the the sloth scene with the, when he, he they think he's dead and the SWAT officer leans over him and he said you got what you deserved because he thought it was the killer. Yeah, you know he says you got what you deserved and uh-huh. all of a sudden he starts coughing and yeah. freaking out. Good night. Like yeah. that is seriously one of the most like horrific sequences ever filmed. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. It is super scary. Like to yeah. see like malnourished like corpse of a man like suddenly come to life. I don't know if they did that with animatronics or like if they did that with like the actor. Like either way, like that scene is just like if any scene in the movie earns the horror movie stamp, that is one of them. Yeah, for sure. It's for sure. Yes. For sure. And uh, my fun fact number four is after Gene Barkin answered a casting call looking for a smarmy lawyer type, it wasn't until he uh, arrived on the set that he uh, realized that he was going to spend his time naked, covered in blood, and acting like a corpse. So he he renegotiated right there and then and asked for, uh, and he got it too. He asked for five times the Screen Actors Guild Day scale fee of $522. He got it, as well as a pair of new underwear. (laughs) Nice. 
And uh, my last fun fact is Seven inspired a comic book. In 2006, Zenoscope Entertainment acquired a license to produce a seven-part limited series based on John Doe's fascination with the uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Pages of the journal that was glimpsed in the film were included, and the title lasted seven issues. That reminds me of another thing that was interesting about Seven that I, I kind of picked up on, on from the Christian perspective mm-hmm. was God created the world in seven days and it only took seven days for John Doe to create his masterpiece. That's actually good. <laughs> That's actually very good. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right about so that. I thought that was very eloquent. That, that, that's uh, a good... Uh, you know, comparison takes place over seven days. And comparison, kind of contrast, yeah. Yeah, very good. Masterwork becomes, you know, within seven days, just like the creation. So, it, you know, creation of the world versus creation of the masterwork of the seven deadly sins killer. Mm. Uh, now we um, move on to the cast and crew that has passed on. There are just a few that have um, passed on. Um, Arnold Copelson, he was the producer of Seven. He died October 8, 2018 at, um, at age 83. And uh, R. Lee Emery, which is uh, Ronald Lee Emery, uh, he played the police captain. Uh, he yep. died April fifteenth, two thousand eighteen, uh, of complications from pneumonia. That he is horror alum from being in the um, two rebooted Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He sure was. Yes, he was the sheriff. He played the sheriff. And of course, his most iconic role being in Full Metal Jacket, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. Well, my fiance has told me that he was a real life. Uh, he was in the military. Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. that's that what my fiance told me. Perfect casting for that film. But yeah. Yeah, he's always been a favorite of mine. He was also, uh, he kind of reprised his role um, from Full Metal Jacket in the horror film from the 90s called The Frighteners. Oh, he actually appears as a ghost in one of the cemeteries as a drill sergeant, like he was in uh, Full Metal Jacket. He appears in the cemetery to Michael J. Fox's character. Oh. Yeah. Cool. So he is definitely between Seven and the Frighteners and the Texas Chainsaw films. He yeah, was definitely he was- a friend of the horror genre. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Michael Massey, uh, he was the man in the massage parlor booth. He died October 20th, 2016 of stomach cancer at age 64. So those were the the only ones that... um... Yeah. Now, uh, I do have another segment to my podcast. Uh, It's called Grouper's Reaction. Uh, I've actually uh, been doing it for the this whole month. So, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, we went so long. What well, we did midsummer, uh, uh, Nathan, because uh, yeah. Jamela, me and Nathan, we did a podcast like what two weeks ago. 
yeah. called yeah. Midsummer, and we went Midsummer. so we went so much overtime that I didn't even get to. <laughs> I didn't get to a lot of stuff. <laughs> Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's kind of like this one. We're gonna do some part twos for some of these podcasts. Let's right. <laughs> You're right about it. Uh, but um, uh, I asked the group earlier on today, and you guys might have seen the question, uh, and it's the question that I had asked you guys: uh, which kill or death scene? that we didn't get to see on camera was the most creative in your opinion. And uh, the two um, uh, the two opinions that uh, stuck out to me was from Rose Hahn. Uh, she said, the poor guy who was uh, slowly starved to death and confined to the bed was the most horrific death in my opinion. But yep. the, but the so rape- killed over the course of a year. Yep, mm-hmm. but the rape death scene was the most sadistic and terrifying, and I, I yep. agree with both of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Definitely, it was definitely the most like. Yeah. Like it's one of those ones that makes you cringe, and like you feel it in a certain part of your body when you hear the description. Exactly, and uh, Angela Luan, she says uh, the scene of the guy. Uh, hooked up to the IVs being starved was the most creative to her. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree with all of that. And with all of that being said, we have come to the end of my podcast, guys. I thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, Nathan, I thank you. And Jamila, I thank you because I know that you you are busy. You have company over and stuff and I, but I just thank you for being on my podcast I, I do have a couple of announcements uh, next week next week Friday is actually the group's one year anniversary that's awesome yes and uh, I am giving away prizes as I always do uh, three right. three group members will randomly be selected to win a prize. Um, I can't wait for that. Random. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then on August 17th, next month, August 17th, is my podcast year anniversary. Cool. Now, and with that, I am going to be picking uh, randomly, again, randomly, three people who have been on my podcast. So you guys are definitely in the running. <laughs> for You guys are already in the running for getting a prize from me. Nice. So, <laughs> so I, I can't wait for that. I, I'm so glad. I'm so proud. I'm proud of myself for actually mm-hmm. keeping this going. Yeah. It's great. I enjoy it. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys uh, ever listen to any of my other podcasts, you know, besides the ones that you guys do, but I'm always listening to my podcast and I always, always learn something new every single time I listen to one of my podcasts. Yeah. So I, 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 I adore it. I enjoy it. And I just, I love it. And I love all my guests. I love the fact that they, you know, that they 
that you guys want to come on here, that you love it that much. Oh, yeah, I love it. I could be on here every week. And uh, um, uh, also, also, I do want to mention that um, uh, I do have a tip jar um, on on my um, podcast, but it is inactive. When you guys go to my podcast, you guys will see that I have a tip jar on there, but it's inactive. So, okay. so all you have to, what you have to do is just go to um, uh, go to um, PayPal. Go to PayPal, and you guys can leave a little tip for me there. And uh, uh, my uh, my PayPal name is my email address. You just uh, put in uh, Carter Latrice one twenty six at gmail dot com. Again, that's Carter Latrice one twenty six at gmail dot com, and you guys can leave me a little something there because the tip jar. Um, that's associated with my podcast is inactive. Nice. So, um, well, yep yeah, that's that's uh, that's all. That's every um that's everything that I have. Um, and to all of my listeners who want to join my group page on Facebook, please do. Uh, just just go to the search engine, put in horror movie warriors, and go ahead and join. We we love having new members join uh uh, i believe my membership is now at 420 people wow i I love it i I love it you know what we should do latrice Hmm. you know what we should do what we should make it a dub we should make it a david fincher double we should do a sci-fi horror episode of david fincher's alien 3 oh yeah oh yeah Oh yeah! Dude, I was come back. I would love to come back for Alien Three. It's actually one of my the director's cut of that film. One of my favorite Alien movies, um, and it actually has a lot of religious undertones to it. Yeah, um, and so it would be perfect not only for that sci-fi horror genre, but for the religious aspect. Um, perfect film for this this podcast i think oh yeah oh yeah you, and you know i i was thinking about doing another aliens movie as well because i know that um well me and my fiance had did aliens that's you know the yeah. one that the security and yeah, you were right actually now, supposed yeah. to be on there you were supposed to be on there but uh i think something came up for you so yeah uh, so yeah i um so yeah, yeah i'll definitely work in like, i would love to discuss it oh There's yeah so much I, like to I mean, it's another David Fincher. It's got a lot of religiosity in it. It's, it's a very interesting, uh, you know, very interesting version of Alien. Oh, yeah. I, I'm definitely going to uh, write that in. Even if I have to do it uh, for next year, I'm definitely going yeah. to schedule that in. Cause, uh, I'd you love know, to be a part of it. Oh, oh yeah. Well, well then, I, I'm gonna put put you on the schedule right here and now. Whenever I do pencil yeah. it in, I'm gonna put you yeah. on the schedule. So I will be there. I will be there no matter what. And uh, let's see. Uh, next week, I'm actually <laughs> next week um, is my final week before my um, before my break because I'm giving myself a week off. Uh, but next week, I am actually going to be talking about soft. <laughs> I'm gonna be discussing saw. Oh, uh, I love saw so much. <laughs> yes, we're gonna be discussing saw. It's gonna be um, 
uh, my group administrators uh, and I will actually be discussing it. So um, can't wait till Spiral comes out. Oh yeah, me either. Me either, and that's the one with Chris Rock, right? That's the one with Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. I I I want to see how Chris Rock does. That's what I want. I want to see how. Not only is he acting in it, but he he spearheaded it. He's a producer. Yeah, that's why I want to see. I want to see his take on it. Spiral from the book of Saw. I, I want to see it. I definitely want to see Chris Rock's take on it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. uh, it's interesting him uh, coming out because it's kind of like Jordan Peele, a comedian, coming out as being a horror movie lover and mm-hmm. putting out Get Out and Us and The Twilight Zone. Now we have Chris Rock, a, com- a black man who's a comedian, just like Jordan Peele, yeah. who's showing interest in the horror genre and wanting to reboot the Saw franchise. It's That's amazing, cool. and I support it wholeheartedly. I do, too. That's I cool. do, too. I think more and more African-American people are coming out as horror lovers, whereas, a lot, of, whereas a lot of us you know, still are in the horror closet. <laughs> we need to come we out. Need to stop. We need to <laughs> Stop having black people be the first people killed in horror movies. <laughs> That's probably why we didn't want to say that we liked them. Right. <laughs> You're right, Jamila. I don't know if y'all have seen the favorite uh, called uh, Horror Noir on Shudder. Yeah, Horror Noir. I think it was called Horror Noir. Oh, yeah, it is. a documentary on Shudder about... Uh, the history of African American and film. Mm. I haven't seen it, yeah. but I have heard a lot about it. Yeah, it's an invaluable documentary. It's amazing. I would highly recommend it to any of the listeners of this podcast. If you don't have Shutter, get Shutter just for that documentary. It's a phenomenal film. Cool. Yes, yes. I, I do want to see it. So, well, guys, until next week, this has been Latrice Carter, uh, Nathan Dilla, and Jamela Galt, and we will see you guys later. I hope you guys have fun tonight as we did. So, we'll see you guys later. Bye.